where compassion's true, where the foot is always in the other's shoe, where all your illusions are left behind. And what you really need, you find. I know a place. Don't you know? I know a place. Where the sun don't dim, where the light shines on the mess you're in, where all your dark scenes come to a close, and every flower in the garden glows. I know a place, don't you know? I know a place. Close your eyes, climb inside to that place. I know a place. There's no space or time. I know a place, and it's in my mind. I know a place where no sorrow flows.
Welcome to Great Speeches and Interviews on Access Sacramento and The Voice. I'm Steve Lerman. Today's program starts out with a debate. Should we genetically modify foods? Many plants we eat today are the result of genetic modifications that would never occur in nature. Scientists have long been altering the genes of food crops to boost food production and to make crops more pest, drought, and cold resistant. Opponents of genetically modified organisms or GMOs say that farmers who grow these crops are able to use fewer environmentally damaging pesticides. The increased yield of GMO crops are essential to feeding the world's growing population and proponents say that the numerous studies have shown that genetically modified foods are safe to eat. Critics, however, say that the claims of those benefits are overblown. They say farmers growing GMO crops have actually increased their use of herbicides, and widespread use of the crops has also led to an increase in herbicide and pesticide-resistant weeds and insects. And there is still no scientific consensus on the long-term safety of these foods. Listen to this debate and decide for yourself who is right. Donvan, this is Intelligence Squared U.S., and nature has many unknowns, but one certainty is that tomatoes and fish do not have sex with each other. They never have. And yet, one of the most famous, or some might say infamous, feats of genetic engineering was the development of a tomato whose DNA was mingled with DNA from a fish, which gave it a longer life on the vine. And it worked. Then there's corn, where today some 90% of the corn grown in the United States has its DNA mixed with DNA that comes from a bacterium so that it will stand up better to pests. And that works. And is this a good thing, this genetic engineering, that nature could never accomplish on its own? Is it a safe thing? Is it necessary? Well, those questions sound like the makings of a debate. So let's have it. Yes or no to this statement. Genetically modify food. A debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan. We are at the Kaufman Music Center in New York City. We have four superbly qualified debaters, two against two, who will argue for and against this motion. As always, our debate will go in three rounds, and then the live audience here in New York votes to choose the winner, and only one side wins. Our motion is genetically modified food. Let's meet the team first arguing for the motion. Please, let's welcome Robert Fraley. And Rob, you are uh, Executive Vice President, Chief Technology Officer at Monsanto. You've worked there 30 years. You are the winner of the World Food Prize Laureate. That's an award often described as the Nobel for food and agriculture. And it's related to this debate because of your work on what exactly? Well, thanks, John. Uh, Yeah, that was a a reward given uh, along with uh, two of my academic uh, colleagues for basically developing the uh, tools that have allowed us to create the GMO crops there at the beginning. Robert Fraley, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm joined tonight by my uh, partner, Allison Van Enenum, who is going to, uh, to talk about uh, the technology as well and the benefits. Ladies and gentlemen, Allison Van Enenum. Allison, you are also arguing for the motion genetically modified food. You're uh, a specialist in animal science at UC Davis. Uh, You've said that you chose to study agricultural science when you were still in high school, but that it wasn't an obvious choice for you. How come? Well, I'm an urban girl. I was born in the city in Australia, and I'm kind of a science nerd. Still am, actually. Um, And I was interested in how we might use science to improve the productivity of agriculture, and it's what I've spent my career uh, pursuing. Thank you, Alison Van Enenum. That's the team arguing for the motion. 
We have two debaters arguing against the motion, genetically modified food. Let's please first welcome Chuck Benbrook. Chuck, you are at Washington State. You are known for your research on pesticide use in particular. You've debated with us before, actually. You were a proponent of uh, organic food, and you won overwhelmingly, very decisively. So are you feeling lucky again tonight? I am, uh, John. We've, uh, we're well prepared, Marty and I, and uh, since we have the facts and science on our side, I think we'll be fine. <laughs> And tell us, please, who is this Marty of which you speak? My partner, uh, Margaret or Marty Mellon, is going to help me make the case. Ladies and gentlemen, Margaret Mellon. Mellon. Uh, Marty Mellon, 18 years. You were with the Union of Concerned Scientists. Interestingly, while a scientist, you are also a lawyer. You are also the only debater on stage tonight with a last name, Mellon. That sounds like an actual edible product. (laughs) Coincidence? I don't think so, but my last name also sounds like uh, a bank, and (laughs) money is probably as important as food in this debate. Very clever. Ladies and gentlemen, Margaret Mellon, and that's our team arguing against the motion, which is genetically modify food. And let's go on to round one, opening statements by each debater in turn. Here to argue for the motion, please welcome Robert Fraley. He is Executive Vice President and Chief Technology Officer at Monsanto. Ladies and gentlemen, Robert Fraley. Just as a, as a quick test to the audience, how many of you know anybody who's a diabetic and who takes insulin? So, a lot of hands. So... Actually, insulin was the first GMO product, and, uh, and now uh, you know, that's the, the typical treatment, uh, and it's a, a safer, better product. Today in healthcare, just to, to give you a sense of the transformation, six of the top-selling drugs in the United States are based on GMO technology, so tremendous progress. Let me, uh, let me make it a little more food-related. How many of you eat cheese? All right. The first actual GMO product ever approved for food use was a product called, uh, called Renin. Renin is the enzyme that's actually used to, to, to make cheese. And today, 90% of our cheeses are, are based on GMOs using a safer approach and a more effective way of, uh, of making the technology. You know, I helped develop the first GMO plants back in the, uh, in the early uh, 1980s. And then we took uh, about another 15 years of additional studies and development before the first commercial products were launched in the, uh, in the mid-1990s. And those were products that help farmers protect against insects and protect against weeds. So for insect protection, we actually use the very same BT protein that is used by organic farmers for years and built that into the plants to protect them from insects. And as a result of that, we saw dramatic reduction in insecticide use and an increase in, uh, in crop yields. And, and herbicide-tolerant crops have been a great enabler. They've enabled farmers to use safer and more environmentally friendly chemicals and replace the products that were, uh, were previously used. But they've also had a, a profound benefit to the environment of enabling farmers to, uh, to not plow their soils and, as a result, use less energy, release less carbon, and reduce erosion, which have been key. Today, if you look around the world, GMO crops are grown in about 27 countries. They're being used by 18 million, uh, million farmers. And to put in perspective, this has been the most rapidly adopted technology in the history of, of agriculture. And that's because the benefits have been so real and so clear. I grew up on a 
farm, I've watched my dad make those decisions on which seeds to buy, which equipment to use, et cetera, et cetera. I can tell you that there's no farmer who would plant GMO crops if they didn't have a real benefit. And they certainly wouldn't have planted them for the last 20 years if they didn't have real value. And what I'm most proud about is the fact that these technologies have been in the marketplace for over 20 years, and there's not been a single, not one issue of food or feed safety ever associated with the technology. And I'd make this point, that there's as strong a scientific consensus on the safety of GMOs as there is on the, uh, on the role of greenhouse gases and, uh, and climate change. So that's, uh, that's very important. Also, this technology is highly regulated. It's regulated by the government agencies in the U.S., but it's important to realize that we export grains to 40 countries around the world who have all researched and approved these products. Uh, and this is so key as, we, uh, as we, uh, we think about the future, because we are on the brink of facing one of mankind's greatest challenges. Global population continues to grow. It's going to reach 9.5 billion by 2050. The demand for food will double by, uh, by 2050. And so the decisions we make and the votes that you make tonight are, are really important. We can do this, but it means working together. And it means Robert finding Fraley, a I'm common sorry, ground. I'm sorry your time is up. And using all of our tools. I'm so sorry I, your time is up. Thank you very thank much, you. Robert Fraley. to the debate, should we genetically modify foods? Our motion, genetically modified food, and here to speak against this motion, Margaret Mellon. She is a science policy consultant and former founding director of the Union of Concerned Scientists Food and Environment Program. Ladies and gentlemen, Margaret Mellon. Thank you very much, um, and thanks to Rob. Um, he made a number of points that I think uh, we're going to come back to over the, uh, over the course of the debate. But I want to focus my remarks uh, really on just one point, and that is whether or not 
genetically modified or genetically engineered, I'm going to use those two words interchangeably, whether those technologies are essential or even an important uh, technologies for meeting the challenge of feeding 9 billion people without destroying the earth. Now, I'm going to argue against that. Uh, but I understand why a lot of people believe that genetic engineering is the answer. And I think a lot of that has to do with the way the technology debuted. I mean, I was there in the early days when Monsanto came up with its products. I was working in Washington, D.C. for the environmental community. The place was abuzz uh, with the idea that a new molecular technology was on the way that would convert agriculture uh, into a, an environmentally benign activity. I was at the wildlife, the National Wildlife Federation when Monsanto folks came and said, you people in the environmental community ought to be the first to embrace this technology because it's going to reduce pesticide use. I wanted to learn more, and I did, when I went to Monsanto and got the tour out in St. Louis. And I was told it's not only going to reduce toxic use of chemicals, it's going to produce crops that can uh, fertilize themselves, it's going to produce crops that are high-yielding, uh, that'll make famine a thing of the past, uh, that are re re uh, resistant to stress, to cold, to, to drought, to heat. Uh, my big question was that it was a brand new technology using very new techniques, and would it work? Well, we have had now 30 years uh, to find out whether it's going to work, billions of dollars uh, in investment in it, and I think uh, there's just no doubt that compared to the vision, the early vision, it's a big disappointment. Um, now, after 30 years, there are no crops out there that fertilize themselves. There's one drought-tolerant crop that's drought-tolerant because of genetic engineering. There are no crops whose yields are the result of genetic engineering apart from making them uh, better able to deal with pests. I mean, you name it, it really hasn't happened. The days of, of glyphosate, I mean, we've run through the, the best herbicide that the, uh, that the world's had to offer. Glyphosate is no longer as useful as it once was, and it's getting less useful every day because resistant weeds are coming. And those resistant weeds are leading to more, um, to a greater and greater use of herbicides. But, you know, to answer my first question, a technology that after 30 years has not delivered you know, on the, full, uh, on the full range of products that it kind of promised uh, to the public early on. And in the one application where it has delivered, the benefits of the technology are now being reversed and we are going in the direction of increased herbicide use. I mean, that is not a technology that is either essential or I would argue even important to addressing the major uh, agricultural challenges ahead of us. Thank you, Margaret Mellon. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on American shores. And a reminder of what's going on. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, arguing it out over this motion, genetically modified food. You have heard two of the opening statements, and now on to the third. Here to debate for the motion, Alison Van Enenem. She is a genomics and biotechnology researcher and cooperative extension specialist in the Department of Animal Science at UC Davis. Ladies and gentlemen, Alison Van Enenem. 
I'd like to start with a premise that I hope we can all agree on, and that is in the future, more people are going to need to be fed better with less environmental impact. And as a public sector scientist, my interest is finding real-world solutions to that problem. And to me, GM food offers one of those solutions. It's derived from crops produced using a breeding method based on the movement of useful genes from one species into another. GMO technology often gets conflated with Monsanto and Big Ag, but it's actually a breeding tool, one that can be used for many purposes. As Rob mentioned, most commercialised GMO crops to date have been made to resist insects and herbicides and have been adopted by 18 million farmers globally. But importantly, 16.5 million of those farmers are in the developing world, both men and women, some of whom farm areas smaller than the size of the auditorium tonight. What have been the impacts of this widespread adoption? As a scientist, I go to the independent peer-reviewed literature to answer such questions. Recently, German university professors published a comprehensive analysis of 147 separate studies that assessed the impact of GM crops. They found that the benefits were significant, not only in the US, but more importantly in the developing world. On average, GM technology adoption has reduced chemical pesticide use by 37%, increased yields by 22%, and increased farmer profits by 68%. This has benefited both farmer health and also the environment and beneficial insects. That the dice are loaded Everybody rolls With their fingers crossed Everybody knows The war is over Everybody knows The good guys lost Everybody knows The fight was fixed The poor stay poor The rich get rich That's how it goes Everybody knows Everybody knows that the boat is leaking Everybody knows the captain lied Everybody got this broken feeling Like their father or their dog just died Everybody talking to their pockets Everybody wants Box and chocolates and the long stem rose. Everybody knows. Everybody knows that you love me, baby. Everybody knows that you really do. Everybody knows that you've been faithful. I'll give or take a night or two. Everybody knows you've been discreet But there were so many people you just had to meet Without your clothes And everybody knows Everybody knows Everybody knows That's how it goes
Messages from Access Sacramento. 